You're listening to Lanyap, a weekly digest of news, personal finance, brotherly banter, and whatever else is on our minds. From Stokes Family Office. Greg and Doug Stokes, Lanyap Podcast. Uh, it is uh, the September the 14th, which is it's actually our mom's birthday, so happy birthday, mom. Um <laughs> CPI week this week. Uh, this is from Colin Roche, who is uh, my favorite uh, author on the on all things macro. But he says inflation bumped modestly higher in August, reading of CPI to a rate of three point seven percent, up from three point three percent, well off the highs of eight point nine percent in June. Um, the biggest thing he says is that uh, core CPI is very sticky, and a lot of that's due to services and uh, shelter and then uh, what what Cullen says which I think is the most important and we've been talking about it basically all year the good news here is that we're very early in that shelter lagging process remember that uh, shelter is a lagging indicator so even though uh, home prices have come down dramatically and if we show that that uh, you know apartment listings across major metropolitan areas are down on a year-over-year basis uh, shelter inflation is still a significant number. It's seven point one percent inflation uh, as of August, which is That's sort of joke. ridiculous in my yeah. mind. Uh, and uh, what Colin says is this is going to drop to a two to three percent minimum, and could even deflate depending on how housing evolves. So far, housing has held up better than expected, but rents and prices are still stagnating. This means that we're likely to see a full year of disinflating shelter. And that's a 35% tailwind to the disinflation story. Cullen's been this year, and, and we've been in agreement that uh, it's a it's a disinflationary story, and that the biggest risk economically is deflation, not a, a, a another spike in inflation, similar to the 70s. And so uh, the biggest component to that is going to be shelter is going to continue to lag, even if we get a rebound in in home prices next year. We'll still have that lag effect mm-hmm. from shelter in 2022, you know, declining rent prices, declining home prices. That will be a benefit or a tailwind to disinflation next year. And uh, and he says, just as a hedge, the biggest risk uh, to inflation is a big commodity spike. We've really seen that uh, in the last month with oil. We talked about it last week that you know, Jim Cramer went. Uh, went short oil uh, in June, and of course, oil has rallied significantly since then. Uh, commodities as a basket are down about 25% over the last 12 months. Uh, if we get a reversal, you know, some other shock to supply chain or war or whatever, um, that's going to be uh, the big risk to that that uh, inflationary spike that we really saw in 2021, uh, risk of that returning. Uh, if that doesn't happen, and that's sort of an exogenous issue, if that doesn't happen, then the disinflation and potentially deflation story is, is really still in play, uh, in my opinion. Yep. And if you look at the Fed's terminal rate, meaning what the market estimates the Fed's uh, ultimate highest rate is going to be in this particular cycle, it was unchanged after that particular CPI report. So the market basically got what it was expecting in terms of the data that, that, that uh, came out yesterday. Um, there are some interesting underlying factors, in in particular, like you mentioned, transportation and shelters up seven point three percent, which I agree is a joke. 
Um, but overall, you're, you're seeing a lot of things that are uh, contributing to a slowing um, uh, 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 and slowing inflation, et cetera, on a relative basis. It got up to like 9% um, at one point uh, last June, and it's come down significantly. And I, I agree. I think that we're ultimately going to see something that looks to be more moderate over time because of that housing factor. And if you, if you just look at the, the, the price of housing on the lower end of the spectrum, like we've talked about previously, housing prices are still kind of near all-time highs. But rents, if you look at up-to-date rents and uh, house prices on the higher end of the spectrum, um, those, those particular uh, uh, items, rents and house prices on the higher end of the spectrum are definitely coming down. So a lot of a lot of yeah. This is a uh, this is from uh, Lance Lambert, who this is a couple of days ago. Zillow home price data for America's forty largest housing markets, month over month, year to date, and year over year change, uh, and then down from their peak. Uh, so essentially, what we're looking at here is across most major metropolitan areas, and specifically concentrated in like Austin. San Francisco, Los Angeles uh, are having a pretty severe, and it's all relative, but severe declines in housing prices um, year over year. But uh, what I think is most interesting here is that since March of 2020, uh, it, there's just been a major bump. So yeah, it, I think this goes on the inflation component that prices are never going back to pre-pandemic prices. So even if we have lower inflation it means we have lower inflation off of a higher base uh for example dallas texas uh average value of a home since 2020 up 45 percent wow uh san francisco is up 20 percent. san francisco um still higher than it was pre-covid nashville 46 percent uh new york 25 percent so phoenix 48 percent we're just in a in a uh, paradigm shift here so just because we have lower inflation and lower house prices, uh, a new floor has been set, and I just don't see um, you know going back to where we were pre-pandemic. Yep. So as far as like the risks that uh, are on the table, basically the uh, the research team from Goldman Sachs put together this report, the, the Q4 pothole. They see these particular items as um, disinflationary, student loans which are going to resume sooner if they haven't resumed already, government shutdown and UAW strikes, uh, United Auto Workers strikes. So I'm going to read this. Three developments that are set to temporarily slow um, in, uh, growth in Q4. Um, resumption of student loan payments subtracts um, a certain percentage from quarterly annualized growth. They believe the federal government looks more likely than not to temporarily shut down, which will also slow down growth. And then lastly, uh, reduced auto produ- production from a potential UAW strike would also impact every impact uh, growth. That would probably be inflationary, and and that's been that was a big driver of inflation for a long time. I, I remember in 2021 when um, or was it, it was a 2020 it was 2021 or 2022. I don't remember when used car yeah, prices. Supply, yeah, all the supply all the supply chain issues. Remember they had all of those uh, uh, cargo ships sitting off the uh, coast waiting to dock uh in like long beach um there's just major issues with uh with working at supply chains that took really took 18 months to solve uh, people are still blaming supply chains which i think that that's sort of a, that's a cop-out 
at this point. But, um, but yeah, I think, uh, unless you're moving supply chains from like China to Mexico, you know, onshoring, I, I could see that being an issue, but, um, but we don't have the same supply chain issues that we had in 21. And, uh, if something like that, a big auto strike happens, then, uh, then, you know, that could re reignite that, uh, inflationary trend. Right. I wonder if the, the, uh, data that came out from the Teamsters related to the UPS drivers getting like $170,000 a year or something like that at the end of their contract is going to enter into those negotiations. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and on top of that, like that's a, those particular legacy auto producers like Ford and GM, et cetera, their, their workforces are broadly unionized. So that's a big impact, um, on the, on that particular industry. And we haven't, that hasn't really been a part of the story lately. If you look back, though, speaking over that time frame, the 2021 till present, the S&P 500 has really been stuck in a rut. The it peaked. The S&P 500 peaked um, in uh, January of 2022, and before then, it, in a, we basically the market hasn't done anything essentially for the last 24 months. In August of 2021, it was essentially where it is today. Um, the market peaked, I think, at like 47, and I'm referring to the S&P 500, peaked at about 4,700 points. And as we speak, it's about 4,500. So we're about 5% or so off of all-time highs. Um, but but if you look at history, and this is a chart that Julian Timmer posted, and we'll, we'll post the, to the show notes, It is a this is a prolonged rut that we're in, and it'll be interesting to see how um, where things go from here, as it always is interesting. But it has it, it is also, it's always good to remind ourselves that we have been sort of in the doldrums for quite a long time in the markets. Yeah, I'll tell you what the biggest risk in, in my mind is to um, you know, markets proceeding on an upward trajectory. Uh, and we talked about this offline a couple of days ago. This is from uh, Cullen's article, and then I'll, I'll segue to what it means. But uh, he says, all in all, it's a mixed bag. Inflation is trending in the right direction, but it's stickier than we'd prefer. That means the Fed is going to keep rates high and credit markets will continue to grind slower as a result. This is great news for the low-risk income earner who wants to clip T-bills at 5.5%. It's much more of a mixed bag who any, for anyone who wants to take a longer duration equity and bond risk. And then um, this was a post from... Uh, this is from Bank of America uh, and Bloomberg. It says earnings yield, which is the inverse of the price to earnings ratio, uh, is less than cash yield, that 5.5%, and it's historically led to equity sell-off. So basically, you, you, your earnings yield, your reverse PE, is a lower return or lower yield than you can earn on T-bills right now, and that's historically just meant that uh, you know, everything's based upon the risk-free rate of return. So somebody can sit on the sidelines and say, I'm going to wait and wait it out and see what happens with markets and clip along at five or five and a half percent right now. And so all other asset classes theoretically need to adjust to uh, that risk-free rate. So if you're going to take risk, you should earn a premium to whatever the risk-free rate of return is. And right now, at least where equity markets are, you're you're paying a premium for risk instead of receiving a premium for risk. And so a couple of things have to happen. Number one, interest rates either need to come down, at least this is in theory, so anything can happen, but in, in theory, a couple of things have to happen. Interest rates need to come down or earnings need to grow or a combination of those two in order for that earnings yield to increase and be greater than the cash yield. So 
Uh, I see one of the big risks in the market right now is that market participants just say, look, if I can earn five and a half percent and the Fed's not going to adjust rates quickly because inflation's stickier than anticipated, then I'm going to stick at my five and a half percent instead of earn, uh, you know, pay 20 times earnings or an earnings yield of five, five percent in the market. That's a, right. That's a risk that I'm looking at right now as a, a big risk in markets. Yeah. And all, in all fairness though, you, people that had that same perspective at the beginning of the year that w- that decided to go go along and clip their i don't know what the one year treasury was at the beginning of the year but it was like probably four and a half percent or something like that the s&p 500 i don't even know what it is up year to date but it's in the 13 percent or so yeah exactly so the same are essentially the same um risk uh the earnings yield was around or basically you'd have to you're taking you're paying uh, to take uh, equity-like risk, essentially, like you're saying, but the people that that went in with that mentality at the beginning of the year would clip along in their four and a half percent coupon, but they missed out on the yeah. They'd, upside. Be, they'd be under right now, and and that could change in in the future. But again, I think that um, you know part of the, part of the that mathematical uh, equation earlier this year was was the thought process the Fed would be cutting rates, and and that just that hasn't happened. Uh, I think the GDP has been stronger than expected. Earnings earnings have been stronger than expected, and I think we just need to continue to have uh, earnings outpace expectations so that um, you know that earnings yield increases. But I think, um, yeah, I would say, and you're seeing it. You're seeing it across the board. I mean, I think the biggest uh, the the biggest area where uh, risk the risk free rate is really impacting prices is in real estate right now, specifically commercial real estate. Right. It's the same thing. If if I can earn yeah, a five and a half percent risk free rate, and I don't want to pay a five percent or a four percent cap rate for a piece of real estate, right? So everything has to work out in this particular on the real estate deal to for you to get the same return essentially as you'd be able to get on buying a risk free government bond. That's right. Yeah. So I, I, do, I agree. That's an interesting sort of dynamic. And if you look at the beginning of the year, the the sort of makeup of the market or the the what people were thinking at that point in time was that we would have a recession. Now everybody's that that we get we didn't have a recession as it turns out. Now everybody's saying we're not going to have a recession, which probably you know who knows what that actually translates into. We may actually have a recession or be in a recession. But I'm seeing sort of anecdotal. Uh, things like like football ticket prices, for example, that just don't really indicate that that people are really suffering quite yet. And and I really do. I'm really seeing that more that the people that it seems like are hurting the most are related to the housing sector. Um, and we talked about it last week with regards to pools being uh, people pool company reports that that uh, year over year pool installations are down like forty percent or something like that. So I'm sure that there's. And, but and and what what people always say is housing leads the economy. So who knows what, what if we're going to be in a recession now? The the, the consensus is that we're going to have a soft landing, and some sometimes and a lot of times the consensus is wrong. So we could be in a recession. But then you would say, okay, well, what happens if we have a recession? Should I get out of the market? But what happens a lot of times is stock stocks look through the recession and rise a lot of times during the recession. But anyway, there's just a lot of different. Obviously, a lot of different dynamics that exist, and um, markets are an interesting thing. Uh, one of the things, and shifting gears a little bit, one of the things that I saw that was um, more of a uh, more human-based market um, that I wasn't really aware of, and this was related to a TikTok investors 
uh, post where this guy was talking about the Somali pirate exchange. And in this particular video, this, 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 uh, this is a great follow if you're really interested and, and, and Doug and I, and our brother Pat share the, share these, uh, these videos, but these are essentially just like, uh, goofballs on TikTok that share investment advice. And a lot of times it's like these multi-market scheme people, um, that are forex trading yeah exactly know, with just like lamb, with their, it's all just uh, complete fraud <laughs> right yeah. exactly it's complete fraud but anyway this guy and i don't know if this was, was a joke or not but this individual talked about the somali somali pirate exchange whereby people in somalia uh give money to pirates as invest as an investment for the pirates to go and attack um boats and then if the the pirates are successful then the, the investors get a return on their money and so i was like this can't be real and so i did some research on it and there was actually a wall street journal article that was written on it and it was about 10 or 10 or 11 years ago um, but anyway it's pretty interesting it says this it says pirates are on a hot streak worldwide this is in this is a i haven't heard about any pirate attacks recently but this is in 2011 worldwide uh the first quarter of 2011 saw 142 record attacks up from 67 last year um, and then the world's first pirate stock exchange was uh, established in 2009 in Hadahari, some 250 miles northeast of Mogadishu. It's open 24 hours a day and allows investors to profit from ransoms collected on the high seas, which can approach $10 million and so on and so forth. Um, but there are, um, the, the, I'm fascinated by markets uh, and I love the, the videos of uh, that this TikTok investor in TikTok investors uh, uh Twitter account posts, and I thought this was hilarious that people can, uh, or hit people have been investing in, in, uh, in markets uh, since the dawn of time, really, and it's going on in illicit ways in other parts of the world. Yeah, I think it's really. I mean, it reminds me of a, the uh, South Park episode where uh, they they want to become pirates, and they have this uh, idea of what a pirate is, and then uh, I think it's all the kids they go. To, they go to Somalia and they show up in Mogadishu. <laughs> that was a hilarious. Like that was a they're wearing their, they have like a peg leg and they're wearing their. Oh, like, um, a, like parts hat. of the Caribbean. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Not the same type of pirates in Somalia as right. the, as the uh, Disney one. Um, right. Speaking of sort of uh, uh, cultural moments as it relates to the markets, I saw that uh, orange juice, uh, frozen orange juice futures are at all time highs, which, which is might be my, which reminded me of probably one of my favorite market-based movies out there, uh, trading places with, uh, Dan Aykroyd and Eddie Murphy. Um, but if, if you guys haven't seen that movie, this is like a, this is a movie that was made in 1983. So it's like, you know, 40 years old at this point, but it made me think of that particular movie and, uh, the, the characters in that movie, if you haven't seen it, um, Eddie Murphy is a homeless guy that they transform into a stockbroker and him and Dan Aykroyd make a bet on orange juice futures as sort of like a joke, but uh, any, as a as sort of a, an interesting market-related um, item to choose, And but lo and behold, that particular uh, asset class is at all-time highs, and those fictional characters would be quite happy. <laughs> yep. All right, well, uh, coming up on 20 minutes, and uh, we'll uh, cut it off here, but we'll see you next week. Thanks for joining, and uh, give us a five-star like and share with your friends, and we'll keep growing the podcast. Thanks, guys. Thanks for listening to this episode of Lanyap. This podcast is brought to you by Stokes Family Office. If you liked this episode, consider sharing it with a friend. 
you can subscribe to future episodes in Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. For more information about Stokes Family Office and Lanyap, visit us at stokesfamilyoffice.com. The information in this podcast is educational and general in nature and does not take into consideration the listener's personal circumstances. Therefore, it is not intended to be a substitute for specific individualized financial, legal, or tax advice. To determine which strategies or investments may be suitable for you, consult the appropriate qualified professional prior to making a final decision.